Good morning, Orangewood. Good to see you all. Thank you, worship team. Uh, We so appreciate you leading us and bringing us into the presence of God this morning, as you do every week. Awesome. Is it it, uh, spring break? Are we down a few kids? People are at the beach and other places? All right, good, good. Well, we're going to continue our our study this morning in the book of Ephesians, no matter who's here. And before we do that together, uh, let's pray. One of our members, I won't say who it is, asked that I would talk about and pray for Auburn University. It is March Madness. I won't uh, mention, but Stan Pekavich asked that we specifically pray for them. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that, but, uh, but we are going to look into God's word. So let's pray together. Our great God, what a joy it is to come into your presence today to worship you. To, to recognize you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are awesome. And as we come into your presence today, we, we ask that you would speak to us. We deeply need and deeply desire the leadership of our Father for the life that we've been called to live in this world. It's broken world, and sometimes we're still so broken. And so as your children, we come running into your presence, and we ask that you would speak to us today as you always do through your word. And so we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins. Use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. May we hear your words to us and may it affect the way we live as we live before you. For we pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, there, there's a last couple of weeks, there's been something in the news. There's been a story in the news that many of you followed. Uh, it's it's a, been a news about how parents have paid a phenomenal amount of money uh, to bribe their way to get their kids into major universities in the United States. You've heard of this, right? Uh, the, the reason why this has gotten my attention is that two universities that were mentioned were University of Southern California and Yale. Well, uh, I, uh, I, I'm from Southern California. Both my parents went to USC. It was, I was 35 before I found out there was another USC. I think it's in South Carolina. I'm not altogether certain, but, uh, but, uh, but, but, uh, so my parents went there and the first church I served out of seminary was in Connecticut, seven miles from Yale. We had a bunch of Yaleys in our church. Yaleys back then, 30 plus years ago, were really bright people, even though their EQ was a little low. I remember 30 years ago, 30 years ago, talking about AI. Artificial intelligence, 30, 35 years ago with one of these students. And, uh, and so this story got my attention. Dennis Prager, the Jewish talk show host, wrote a blog. Uh, and he titled his blog, So Your Kid Goes to Yale. So what? <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. It was a great article. Uh, but, but in it, he, he mentions two reasons why parents would bribe their way, try to bribe their kid's way uh, into school. And he said, the number one reason is for bragging rights for their own identity. He said, I'm convinced that the main reason they're doing it is for bragging rights. They can brag about their kids. And uh, I get that. And then the second reason he said is so their kids would maybe have a leg up and make money on their own and do really, really well out in the world. What, which of us doesn't want our kids to do well, right? And so we get that. I mean, they're helicopter parents. Some of you are, and you can relate to that hovering, protecting. Some of you are bulldozer parents, like these parents that are trying to bulldoze the way for their kids uh, rather than teaching them how to become mature adults. Well, there it is. Um, If you're in education, you know how exasperating parents can be sometimes, right? 
One school system out in California, this is an urban legend, but one school system said that they were going to uh, change their automated uh, answering service at the school to say this. When the phone rang, uh, the voice would come on and say, to lie about why your child is absent today, press one. (laughs) To make excuses for why your child did not do his work, press two. To complain about what we do, press three. To swear at a staff member, press four. To ask why you didn't get information that was already enclosed in your newsletter and several flyers mailed to you, press five. If you want to raise your child, if you want us to raise your child, press six. If you, I like that one. If you want to reach out and touch, slap, or hit someone, press seven. To request another teacher for the third time this year, press eight. To complain about bus transportation, nine. To complain about school lunches, press zero. If you realize this is the real world and your child must be accountable and responsible for his or her own behavior, classwork, homework, and that's not the teacher's fault for your child's lack of effort, hang up and have a nice day. <laughs> I love that. I love that. But identity is everything, right? And people do all kinds of crazy things to find their identity. Uh, they, they try to bulldoze their kid's way into success. They, they try to find, see, they try to find their identity through other things outside of them. And last week in the sermon that Joe preached, I got a chance to listen to it. Uh, uh, it was, was a powerful message because so much, everything goes back to identity, doesn't it? How you perceive yourself. Everything goes back to that. That's the starting point of life. And Sunday morning, trust me in this, Sunday morning is a time where we gather together to worship the Lord, right? Yes. But it's also a time for the pastors of the church to help the church get a readjustment in the whole area of our identity. Communion is a time to reestablish and restore and, and, and renew when we have communion our identity as God's beloved children because of what Christ has accomplished. Sunday morning is a time to renew our identity so that we go out there and live out of our identity in Christ rather than try to find our identity in something else, in marriage, in work, in our sexuality, and and what we accomplish. So identity is really important. And Joe read Ephesians 1, 5, 1 through 21, and, uh, and talked about uh, identity and how the gospel changes everything, right? Jesus has broken in, and he's broken into our lives in the gospel, and, and that changes our identity so that he can then, through the identity that he's given, as deeply beloved children of the Most High God can break out through us. That's, that's, that's a game changer, and I love what he said. Uh, he said, so often we know that we, know that we are loved, but do we... As God's people feel that we're loved, I hope, Mark, you felt loved by your congregation here today as you told the truth about your, your foot. I like the story you told me before church began. How did that happen? Ninjas broke into my house and I had to take care of them. You are God's deeply beloved son. Isn't that great? And you can tell the truth to the whole congregation. We're not the lie. We have to play games. Isn't identity in Christ wonderful? Changes everything. Do we always feel the identity that we have as deeply loved children? No, we don't. We just don't. I love what Joe said. He said, you know, I was raised in a dysfunctional family and so were my children. <laughs> Joe, I love that line. I'm going to be using that from here. This is the last time you're going to get credit for that line because I'm, I'm stealing it. 
I was raised, I too was raised in a dysfunctional family. So were my kids. They're still better than yours. But, the, <laughs> but, but sometimes in the dysfunctional families that we're raised in, we know God loves us, but do we feel it? No. So we're always moving out there to try and find our identity. Uh, and, and so it's, this is the starting point in, in our lives. And in Ephesians, uh, we, we saw and we'll see again how our identity fleshes out as imitators of God, our Father, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do is read the same text uh, Joe read last week, but I'm going to focus on something slightly different this week uh, as we find God's will. And I'll tell you what those verses are. There it, here it is, Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ lo- also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must not be, there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this, you know, with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. I love that. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And then these three verses are our verses for today. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. What a great text. Now, if you want, you want controversy next week, okay? Next week, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. It's going to start off with this. You ready? Wives, be, I have seen people mouthing it already. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Controversies next week, all right? This is not controversial. We're just laying it out here. This, I can see some people going, I'm going to get 30 emails today saying, this is how you better teach that text. It's a tough one. It's crazy. But today is powerful as we focus on how as imitators, deeply beloved children of God, we become imitators of God, imitators of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and so we're going to be talking about that, particularly in knowing the will of God. And so verses 15 through 17 are focused 
therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. And you need to know that in the original Greek, the word men is, not, is, is the word anthropos, which is the Greek word that means male and female. So we're dealing with all of us, uh, not just males here. Uh, some, some nudging was already going on. Uh, no, it's for all of us, uh, uh, wise people, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me make a couple of quick observations here. Nobody woke up this morning saying, today is a great day to do something foolish. I think I'll be a fool today. I think I'll do something irrational that will ruin my life. We usually do. We don't think that way. We don't do that. And, 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 and we want to be wise, don't we? We want to be successful. And so, uh, but we have to be taught how to live successful lives. And so he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And, and really, all of us want to know the will of the Lord, don't we? Don't we? Yeah. I've never met somebody that came to faith in Christ and said, gee, I, I just want to now do what I want to do. Everybody that comes to faith in Christ has been deeply beloved, redeemed, and drawn to Christ, and they want to know God's will. I know it's spring break, but somebody might be here today that has never been here before. You decided to show up and see why Christians meet early on Sunday morning. Why do you do this? Here's why. We do this because we've been deeply loved and forgiven, and we want to reach out and be with other Christians who are deeply loved and forgiven so that we can worship the one who deeply loved us and forgave us. And we want to understand his will because his will is good and acceptable and perfect, right? That's why we get together. We want to know more of the will of that kind of a God. And so we, we want to know God's will. This, this, is, this, is, this is something that is... A, is our desire. The second quick observation is that when Paul talks about this, he's, 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 he's really illustrating the reality in the second half of the book of Ephesians. He's already been talking about the will of God, hasn't he? In fact, you remember the first half of the indicatives in the first half of Ephesians, the indicatives, this is what Christ has done. The second half of the book is about the imperatives I'm getting a little grammatical on us. But in the first half of the book, what Jesus has done for us, and the second half of the book, how that's supposed to flesh out in our lives. He's already been giving us the commands and the precepts, right? And so this, this, the quick observation is knowing God's will is not that complicated. Now, I could make it complicated because I've been to seminary. And, and, and seminary professors specialized in taking that which is biblical and making it very complex. I could give you, I could give you, we could talk today. In fact, my outline was going to be this, the decretive will of God, the preceptive will of God, the permissive will of God, and the personal will of God. That's what it was going to be. And I have some good Latin phrases for you. The will of Eutychia, the will of uh, Eurestia, the will of Beneplacitum, and the will of Signum. A little Greek and, and Latin. Are you impressed? But I was talking to my son about this in Atlanta, where I was visiting my son and daughter-in-law and two nearly perfect grandchildren. And we were talking about this whole idea of, of the will of God and my, um, my very diplomatic pastor-raised son looked at me and said, Dad, you might want to make that a little more simple. I go, okay. So let's, let's look at it this way. How do we understand the will of God? We understand the will of God through the Bible in our everyday life 
and, 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 and also uh, through the Spirit's leading. Let's talk about that, and then I'll get you out of here. There's probably a March Madness game on somewhere today. We see God's will for us clearly through the Bible, right? And whatever you call it, whether you call the will of God, the precepts of God, the instructions of God, the commandments of God, the reality of how we should live, we see the will of God clearly in the Bible, don't we? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, many of you have memorized, you know, all scripture is inspired of God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So we find God's will for us clearly in the Bible. And he's been laying it out. He's been giving us all of these things. So we see the character of God in the Bible, how awesome he is. But we also see his decrees, don't we? His decrees are simply the, the will of God that he has decided will happen. And, and so we see that all through the Bible. And, uh, we see, and prophecy are really the decrees of God that he's decided will happen in the future. And we see in the Bible God's will. And it's, I've learned um, that it's never wise to fight against somebody stronger than you. Seeing my son in Atlanta, again, my second son in Atlanta who likes to work out and is about three inches taller than me and can pick me up over his shoulders, I still irresistibly think of him as that big. And so when I push him or he pushes back, it's all in good fun and we have, and we have a lot of fun. But the reality is I have learned just to, to hit him and then run. Because <laughs> that's all I can do. You never fight about with somebody stronger than you. You align yourself, don't you? And that's what we do with the will of God as he's already decreed that it's going to happen. We don't fight against it. We get in line with it. And so as we look at his precepts in the scripture, we find that what he's taught us to do is how life works and how we flourish. And that's why we follow what he says. God's way for us are the instructions for life. And, uh, and we find it in the Bible. It's the very best way to live. Students, this is why we follow the Bible, why we teach the Bible at church. Why we teach the Bible at school at, at, here at Orangewood or at Geneva or, or at Master's Academy or at homeschooling where we teach the Bible. Why? It's the way to live for flourishing. Just makes sense. And this is the way we grow and develop. I love Psalm 19.8. The precepts of the Lord are right. Catch this. Rejoicing the heart. As we follow the precepts of God, we find that we're in sync with him, even if we're out of sync with what? The rest of the world. And so students, there's a sense in which as we follow Jesus, we're going to always be out of sync with the rest of the world. And that's okay. Christians have to get used to that, don't we? You're going to be out of sync with the rest of the world, but inwardly you can be in sync with him as you and I follow his precepts. And the Bible is that major source of lead, uh, of guidance for our lives. That's how we know the will of, 95% of the will of God is already revealed right there. 90, I believe, maybe more. Of course, 46% of all statistics are made up on the spot. I don't know, but, but a, I heard a theologian say that once. And he was smarter than me, and I think he's right. There it is. Now, some people have said you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Can you? 
Can you? Answer is no. Get R.C. Sproul's little book, Knowing Scripture, that talks about how we interpret the different genres in the Bible, historical narrative, poetry, uh, the, the, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the wisdom literature, the gospel narratives, epistles. That's a very simple little book that helps us Help us navigate the Bible, and as we read it, we know how to interpret it and find God's will. Here's one last thing on this. I love the Bible because it gives us principles and specifics. Don't you love that? It gives us general categories for the will of God, but it also gives us specifics. For instance, in Ephesians 5.2, it says, walk in love, right? That's pretty general. But then it goes on and and it says this, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Ah, that's more specific. In other words, when I love people sacrificially, then I'm loving in the way God has loved. That's more specific and and it applies to all kinds of circumstances. It also says this in Ephesians 3, um, uh, 5, 3, but do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. Is that specific or general? Pretty specific. What is immorality? Sexual immorality is what it's talking about. Greed. Do any of us have any problem understanding what greed is? Maybe recognizing it in ourselves. But scripture, aren't the scriptures great? Because you have been deeply loved and your father is saying, here it is. This is my will. This is the way you flourish. So we become Bible students, hungry to understand the will of God. God's will is known through the Bible and we then can move away from foolishness. The second thing he gives us is that we understand God's will through real life. And I love this, uh, through the real opportunities as well as catch this through the trials of everyday life. Uh, we find God's will through the opportunities and the trials of everyday life. And this is how God, God, one of the main ways that God uses the Bible to help us understand his will more specifically in our life through the opportunities. So some of you have new opportunities right before you at work, at home, in your neighborhood. You have opportunities, challenges. Our, our ministry has been given an opportunity recently to think through and to take a next step. And, and it's creating uh, in me a lot of questioning and thinking and going deeper. And, it's, and God is raising in this process of thinking about a positive opportunity. He's helping me see my lack of faith, where I need to grow, where I trust myself and I don't trust him. Am I, am I going to get God's will through this opportunity? Yeah, if I enter in. Uh, Orangewood has phenomenal opportunities right now. We got a great pastor search team. We got strong leadership. So many good things are happening. As we look ahead uh, through these opportunities, we're going to see God's will for us unfold. But God also brings great growth and we see his will through the challenges, right? Yes. Through trials. Uh, How many of you don't, besides Mark, are going through trials Today. I'm sorry, you're sitting up front. 
and these crutches are right here. The, the trial of this is right in front of me. Uh, don't raise your hand, but if you're going through a trial, you might be saying, Ugh. well, James says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when, and sisters, when you, not if, but when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Here's an amazing truth is that trials are used powerfully. We hate trials. We wake up and we see something that's going on and we, oh Lord. And we just don't know how it's going to happen, how it's going to work out. And we just wonder, but God says, Hey, consider it all joy because through this process, I'm going to give you the ability to run further than you ever thought. And in the process of gaining endurance, I'm going to build the image of my son in you. If you will allow me to shape your character through this trial, and he does that by taking away that which needs to go and bringing in to our lives what needs to come in the way of the character of Christ. Some of you some of you have been going through trials for years. I'm stunned as a pastor to see some of the challenges that people go through. Um, and, and you could teach me about how trials have shaped you. But it's so powerful uh, that we learn God's will in this, in the midst of trials. But let endurance have its perfect result. But if any of you lacks wisdom, I love this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. And that's about the trial. If any of you lacks wisdom about this trial, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You want to know why you're going through a trial or where you need to grow. He may not give you the cosmic reason as to why the trial came about. But he will give you the growth elements for that trial. What we can learn. What needs to go. What needs to come. Uh, what needs to be repented of. What needs to, the character of Christ needs to be brought in. So much Christ-like character needs to be brought in. But the brother of humble circumstance, let him glory in his high position. And, let the, and then he, James likes to take the rich man and say, use him as an illustration of when everything's going great. Because we tend to look at guys and, and, and ladies that have a lot of money and we say, everything with them is what? Perfect. Easy. It's good. They got a good life. Is that true, by the way? It is not true. They have trials just like we have trials. But James uses this idea of the wealthy man as, as the guy that seems like he has no trials. And so he says, if you're the brother or sister of humble circumstance, glory in your high position. Say, this is good. Does that take retraining? <sighs> yeah. To look at a trial and say, good is going to come out of this. I shared the story this week at our men's group about the two kids. One was an incurable pessimist and one was an incurable optimist. And the dad wanted to get these things fixed. So he, uh, he took him to a psychologist. The psychologist said, I know how to fix them. So he took the psychologist, put one room filled with gifts and he took the, the pessimist son, took him in there, and he gave him all these gifts, and immediately the little boy started to cry. And, he, and, he, and dad said, what's the matter, son? He goes, all these gifts, they're, they're great, but they're going to break. All of them. 
They're going to break. And then my friends are going to want to come over and the ones that aren't broken, they're going to want to play with them too and I don't want to share them. He gave up on that. And then he took the optimist into the room and there was a pile of manure to the ceiling. And the optimist started digging through it. The dad said, son, what in the world are you doing? He goes, with all this manure in there, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. I love that your heavenly father has a a plan for developing you, whatever that is. Whether you're an incurable pessimist, optimist, somewhere in between. What is the area he wants to change us? Got a plan and it's good and it's through trials. He does so much. And this is where community helps us enormously. So God wants to move us away from being foolish, but understanding his will as we imitate him. And he he gives us that through the Bible, through real life, and then in the Holy Spirit's leading. And and how do we get the Holy Spirit to lead us? I'm going to wrap up with this and just show how, uh, real quick, we ask important questions when we go through what we might call God's personal will for our life. Because frankly, there are a number of, of areas of our life that even though in general we're the same, your life is different. Every individual life in here is is, is different and God fleshes out his will for us differently in our lives. I think that's wonderful, by the way. Uh, Raise up a child according to his way and when he's older, he will not depart from it. Every one of our children are different and we have to develop them differently, train them differently and God does that with us and, and bringing his personal will into our life. We ask questions like, what career should I go into? What training should I get? Uh, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? What, what ministry should I get involved with? What should I do with my life? Where should I spend my money? Orangewood. Uh, where, 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 where do you want me to invest my time and energy? Who should I marry? What should I do in rewirement? I had a, a guy who uh, has less gray hair than I have came up to me this past week and he said, let, let, uh, what, I need some guidance about what I'm supposed to do in retirement. I said, first of all, you're not going to retire. You retire, you die. Um, you rewire, you gain new life. And so he said, well, I love golf. And there's this organization that I want to use to train kids with golf. I said, fine. Is, does it have any redemptive Christian aspect to it? I said, no. I said, start your own. Teach kids golf where you can teach them about life and talk about Jesus. We we, we need God's will in our personal. Where are you in life? Just getting started? Uh, You in the middle? Still trying to build that career? Wondering about the future? You're looking at the other end. I don't know what quarter of life you may be in, but God has a personal plan for all of us as we pray for the Holy Spirit to lead us. And God's will is unified and it's one, but we don't see necessarily the whole picture, do we? He is outside of time and history. He is large and in charge and he leads us. Therefore, he commands us not to compare ourselves with anybody else. You want to be depressed? Compare yourself with somebody else. You want to be unnecessarily inflated? Compare yourself with somebody else. I can always find people who I'm better than, and I can always find people that are better than me. 
in multiple areas. That's why Chuck Swindoll, in his inimitable way, said at one time, comparison is odious. Now, that was a really nice way of saying what? Comparison stinks. Boy, it does. And your heavenly father says, don't. So I've got a plan for you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Let me ask you some questions, and we'll pull this together. What are your talents? What are you gifted at doing? Maybe do better than anybody else. Do that. Let the Holy Spirit lead you into finding your spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Find your gifts and let him flesh that out. What, are you, what, what right do you want to wrong? That's, what, that's one of the things that Joe gave on the card last week. What, 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 what do you want to do? What breaks your heart? What makes you want to get up in the morning and go out there and do it? Find it. Find it. What are you born for? Recently, a presidential candidate uh, said he was born to run for president. I disagree with everything he says, but maybe he is. What are you born to do? The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Jesus said, I'm sending the Spirit. Has he come, ladies and gentlemen? He's come. And so we can know the will of God and not be foolish as we be imitators of our Father and allow him to flesh out for us a life that is vibrant and alive. My neighbor, yesterday, as I was uh, coming back from my jog, stopped me. He was standing outside his house and he said, I want you to know we've, um, we've signed up with Baldwin Fairchild. Um, for those of you who don't know, that is a funeral home. That's, uh, and I said, good, Bill. But I, that has context because months before he asked me to do his funeral when he dies. His lungs are shot. He said, I'm picking songs for my funeral. And uh, one of them that's going to be in there is, I did it my way. <laughs> I said, I can't tell you the number of people that came to me and said, stop smoking, man. You're gonna, it's going to come back on you. And he goes, oh, I will, I will. But I did it my way, and now I'm paying the price. I have no one to blame but myself. I thought, boy, I said, Bill, you've really grown in your faith. I said, I love your honesty. He goes, that's why we signed up at Baldwin Fairchild. You see, what God says to us is, I love you. I looked around when we were singing that song, he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. He loves you like you love your children. Because you are his children. And he's not trying to ruin your life. He's trying to, to make you flourish to let you flourish. And that way is narrow, Jesus said. And grace keeps us on that narrow path as he leads us in these ways so that we can come alive. While technology is leading us, I think, to become a more boring culture, the gospel is leading us to become more alive.
Some verses for you, some verses for me. The challenge, focus on those verses. Seek God's will in the word, through life, and through the spirit. And you will flourish. You take it to heart. Because of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, what a joy to be your children. To know that you have a plan that is good, acceptable, perfect. Thank you for your commands. May our hearts remember how much you love us. So that as we hear your commands, we would willingly take them up. This week, may we sense your love more than ever before as we imbibe your truth. For we pray these things in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.